0: Hello and welcome to CIA Files News Show, the show where we cover the news, and this is our final outing in this endeavor. Um, We've decided to kind of wrap things up and focus our efforts and energies elsewhere, but for the final outing, of course, I'm Topher M. Ford, and of course, of course, our co-host, Brandon Givens. Brandon, uh, how are you doing? Status update.
1: I'm oh, Doing pretty good. We had um, International Day and graduations and oh, that was pretty pretty deep. Um, it was uh, oh, and then uh, International Day, uh, they were all kind of different games, you know, based on country and um, but I was scared to go over to Korea because I'm like, oh no, they were doing squid games or something. Oh. <laughs> I don't, I don't
0: I feel like they probably didn't do Squid Games. <laughs>
1: no, they didn't. But they had like a, a hacky sack sort of thing, um, but when I failed I didn't get shot, so that was that was good. Congratulations. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And an arrow, uh you like uh with your hand, like throw an arrow through um these little loops. It was fun, but uh, I failed miserably and but didn't didn't get killed, so yeah, that was
0: What's important is that you tried. Yeah and yeah. you weren't murdered. <laughs> Not murdered. All right, starting off in Yemen, we're going to uh, check in there. Uh, top UN official Hans Grunberg is holding talks with Houthi rebels in an effort to lift the blockade around the city of Taiz. Houthis and the opposing Saudi-led coalition have held a tenuous ceasefire for the past couple of months, which was recently extended. But Taiz has remained cut off from the outside world despite the break in fighting. Grundberg has been working with both sides to reopen a main road into the city to provide much-needed food, fuel, and medical supplies to the city's population. So we, uh, you know, hope that things get better. Um, I mean, things are better now than they were, you know, three months ago.
1: Well, I I imagine with the
0: food shortage that's coming,
1: it's going to make it a little bit more difficult. But I don't know, it might actually break it to the point where they, you know, they have to come to peace or it forces a peace agreement. But that's me looking for a silver lining.
0: Right. Well, we can only hope. Um, all right. So we also, um, there was a recent a um, meeting in uh, Shanghai uh, speaking at the Shangri-La Dialogue event on Asian security. That was held in Singapore. Australian Defense Minister Richard Marles said that China's military buildup is the largest seen since World War II. Marles cautioned that China's enlarged military presence could lead to an arms race in the Pacific. Uh, he also reiterated that he does not ho- want conflict in the area and hopes that all of the, uh, you know, Interested parties uh, can reach some sort of peaceful resolution and adapt. Uh, during the event, Chinese and U.S. officials swapped accusations at each other's countries. U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin said quote, In the East China Sea, the PRC's expanding fishing fleet is sparking tensions with its neighbors. In the South China Sea, the PRC is using outposts on man-made islands bristling with advanced weaponry to advance its illegal maritime claims. We're seeing PRC vessels plunder the region's provisions, operating illegally within the territorial waters of other Indo-Pacific countries. And further to the west, we see Beijing continue to harden its position along the border that it shares with India. Austin went on to affirm that the U.S. does not want to engage in any sort of conflict with China and assured people that the U.S. does not recognize Taiwanese independence. Now, Lieutenant General Zhang Zinzong, Deputy Chief of the Joint Staff Department of China's Central Military Commission, told reporters that he doesn't believe Austin's claims of not supporting Taiwanese independence. He said, There were many unfounded accusations against China, and we expressed our strong dissatisfaction and firm a- opposition to these false accusations. The United States is trying to form a small circle in the Asia-Pacific region by roping in some countries to, excite- to incite against some other countries. What should we call this other than confrontation? Quote. So...
1: Uh, <laughs> the U.S. is just causing trouble. <laughs> We're all getting along, but the U.S. is stirring things up. Oh uh yeah, well i mean the the p r c is the one like building islands in you know, in the middle of the South China Sea, and then kind of trying to claim those as
0: natural well like, oh. right, and we hear mention of the natural resources in the area vis-a vis the fish uh fishing rights in the area yeah, and I think there's some natural gas too and also there's like stuff we just may not know yet right alright well um, moving along to Russia and Ukraine Deputy Head of Ukrainian Intelligence Skibitsky, Sk- Skibitsky told the Guardian that Ukraine is running low on munitions and now faces a tipping point against the Russian invasion Skibitsky said quote this is an artillery war now and we are losing in terms of artillery everything now depends on what the west gives us ukraine has one artillery piece to 10 to 15 russian artillery pieces our western partners have given us about 10 percent of what they have Uh, estimates of ukrainian losses have casualties at somewhere between 600 to a thousand soldiers a day this as Russian forces continue to gain ground in the Donbass and Luhansk regions. Meanwhile, Russia will know by the end of this week whether they will be considered for membership into the European Union. On Saturday, European Commission President Ursula uh, von der Leyen visited Kiev to meet with President Volodymyr Zelensky to discuss the possibility and what that might mean for Ukraine. If all 27 members of the EU agree to consider Ukraine's membership, it would be the beginning of a long process that could take years. Von der Leyen said that if Ukraine is considered, the country would have to enact strong reforms, including action to reduce corruption. Current EU countries are expected to agree to consider Ukraine's application, but with strong preconditions. So, and this is something that... Uh, Ukraine has wanted for a long time, or at least Zelensky has, if uh, I saw uh, there's this kind of funny clip from the the sitcom he was in where he played the president of Ukraine where he gets a phone call from Angela Merkel welcoming him into the uh, European Union and he's ecstatic and then uh, he realizes that she meant to call. Uh, I think Montenegro. Yeah, I think it was Montenegro. Uh, he's, he's like, "Oh, you have the wrong number." Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a, a tricky
1: situation for for uh, Western Europe because the Ukraine has a fairly large population, and um, you know it's not very wealthy. Like just the, the war aside, um, and the the history of corruption. So, of course, they, they won't be fully integrated until that corruption's at a much lower level. Uh, but the, it's kind of like in the United States, how you have um, red states and blue states and purple states. And the European Union, they've kind of got Southern European and, and Northern and, and then Eastern. And the values and can be a little different. And I mean, that's a very simplistic explanation, so that Um, Poland and Hungary and Ukraine's policies would probably be a little bit more similar, or what they would want from the Union, than, say, France and um, the Netherlands. And so, it's kind of a tread softly situation, like, uh, and... You know, it's like, well, if we bring these guys in, it's you know it's it's going to be a lot of people that um you know more and more industry might move into that direction, which you know if you're a free you know believe in free and open markets, and that's actually for the best and helps make a peaceful world um but yeah you know, there there can be some some issues with it, and there's also with um Hungary and Poland leaning toward authoritarianism in many ways, largely through the control of media. And um, the court system, you know they're like, oh well what if what if you know Ukraine leans that way too, after they're in, and uh but at the same time there's is, that is the hope for the future is you know integrated peaceful europe that's that's the plan uh there's just uh i I don't know that the West wants to rush into it, or you know the western part of the continent uh and It's also like, well, they the war is not over, and we really don't know how it's going to end. uh, Ukrainian ammunition factories have have been destroyed. I mean, they they have those Soviet-era tanks and artillery, and they can't really they can't produce it. So, um, so what if they've got a whole bunch of Russian tanks they've captured, or a whole lot of you know uh, Soviet-era artillery or their old artillery? If they can't supply it with ammunition. I mean, they'll, they'll lose the war based on that. And so the Russians, so, I mean, both of them have been playing the time game. You know, if, if time goes out long enough, the Russians will give up. People will finally get tired. Um, and the other side, the Russians are like, ah, if we can drag this out long enough. The West will get bored. And
0: Right. And that's actually something else that I was going to bring up. Um, we're, I'm seeing more news reports. Uh, like this one from AP News, uh, where the headline is, Ukraine fears a long war might cause West to lose interest. And um, we've talked about that before. You've mentioned it before. It's uh, been a common theme that, you know, the West has been very vocal about its support of Ukraine. But the longer the war drags on, you know, that support may subside um, from this ap article uh, every month of the war is costing ukraine five billion dollars said volodymyr Fasinko, political analyst analyst with the pinta center think tank and that quote makes kiev dependent on the consolidated position of the western countries and then Ficinko, uh went on to say quote it is obvious that Russia is determined to wear down the West and is now building its strategy on the assumption that Western countries will get tired and gradually begin to change their militant rhetoric to a more accommodating one. And, you know, we, that seems at least possible, especially considering that Russia also seems to be playing, uh, or, you know, like weaponizing famine and world hunger. By you know keeping a tight control over Ukraine's grain shipments, which we discussed before, go out to places all over the world.
1: Yeah, I mean if we can, if they can get some um, other wars going on uh, based on food and hunger elsewhere, or some you know was it where we're talking about uh, Yemen? You know if that spreads instead of extinguishes or something.
0: Um, right um, yeah. of course the, the ethiopia tigray yeah. is another yeah so um, and a lot of people in that part of the world depend on ukraine's grain uh, to feed their people so
1: yeah And yeah, um, it's filth. and also we want that grain to feed our cows and pigs and stuff too or you know whatever it's you know processed in the animal feed so um you know prices of everything are going up and then if the Russians can convince everyone that if the war ended, then prices would somehow go down very quickly, which they might or might not, we really don't know, because um, prices aren't magical. You have things like hoarding and futures contracts being bought up, and you know, it's like when the price of oil just dropped right after... Like the COVID news hit, but then bounced back overnight. It's like, well, what was the real price? Come on. So, you know, it, it usually kind of bounces out to something, kind of like, oh, okay, this is something based on what it costs. But uh, yeah, like and again, it's an international market. So the U.S. we we export a lot of refined gasoline, and I found out I was incorrect. We um, it was like twenty thirty years ago uh, we imported a lot of refined gasoline, but right now we are more or less self sufficient in our refineries. But we still export a whole lot of gasoline. So the point stands that we have a world market and unless the US is just going to say, okay, we're not going to export fuel um unless the price is below three dollars a gallon in the US, you know, or something that's we're holding it in the US. But see that may not work because then the companies can just reduce supply. You know, so we can say like, oh, we're not going to export it. We're not going to export it. So you got to, you know, it's a controlled market. You can sell here.
0: but And it might be the sort of thing where if prices stay high long enough. They just sort of stick, you know, and that people get sort of acclimated to paying the high prices. And so even if conditions allow the prices to go down, they may not go down as much as they could. Does
1: that uh, make sense? Well yeah, I mean the 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 people selling oil and gasoline, they're gonna charge the most they can get for it. It's not like they're doing a little calculator and say, Oh, well we gotta pay, you know, uh we, we should only have a ten percent profit or thirty percent. It's right, nope, right. what will they pay? And sometimes like the like OPEC the US will ask them, hey guys, you know, the oil producing companies, you know, can you increase supply because with the increase of supply it will go down. And they're like, "All right, fine." But, you know, they're still charging the most they can get. And even if we even if we, you know, stopped exporting our oil, and if we kept producing the same amount, then in theory by the law of supply and demand our price should drop, but they would probably say, "Well, we're just going to reduce supply. We're going to stop pumping so much. If I can get $5 a gallon and um, pump, do the work of one gallon, or I can get $2 a gallon, and, but i got to do the work for three gallons. No, I'm going to do that. <laughs> pump one gallon, hit $5 instead of six from three.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then speaking of... Uh the global market um we you know mcdonald's pulled out of russia you know some it wasn't that long ago was it
1: Uh, i I think it was at the beginning of the war well the beginning of the uh the big invasion because i mean the war technically has been going on for at least 2014 i think
0: right but near the russian invasion yeah february or march um So, sorry, I'm reading as I, so after McDonald's left, uh, 850s, or I'm sorry, 850 former McDonald's restaurants are reopening on Sunday, June 12th, uh, under new branding and ownership. Um, The fast food chain has been renamed to Vaksuno and Tochka, which translates to tasty, and that's it. Uh, This is from (laughs) a a CNN article. The uh, new owner of the chain, uh, Alexander Nikolaevich Govor, he said, quote, If you recall in May, McDonald's announced we're removing their businesses from Russia. I am very proud that they chose me to continue developing this business. That means the company views me as someone who fully shares all the principles, of business, and values of McDonald's. I won't hide the fact that I am an ambitious man, and so I am not just going to simply open up all 850 restaurants, but I am going to develop new ones as well. Uh, according to a press release, uh, again, this is from the CNN article, 62,000 former McDonald's employees were also retained. So, uh, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, that, get a, uh, people control, yeah. people uh, adapt and survive and maintain access to cheeseburgers.
1: <laughs> uh, well, that, a, that, that, I mean, that was one of the things I mentioned in uh, one of our earlier news episodes about sanctions and that... Just, um, it kind of some of the earlier sanctions helped the Russian economy uh, uh, or their local economy, because it's like, Oh, imported fit, you know, like that's more expensive to import stuff. So, Oh, well, we're going to start using more local locally sourced products. (laughs) And so this is kind of that, but at the same time, you've got like, well, McDonald's is a corporation in the U S and like how much money should, you know, You've, the dividends, you know, you're making dividends off of a corrupt regime. And in some respects, it's kind of impossible to get around, but come on, it's, you're not gonna, you're not gonna do business in Nazi Germany because, well, somebody is, or, you know, well, if we stop doing business with Nazi Germany, like, where does it stop doing business with um, Mexico because they can't control their cartels? I like, come on, that's a slippery slope but there has to be a point where a company is like, you know, we just, mm, this isn't a a group we really want to be involved with. Uh, But uh, you also had the story of, you know, Pepsi goes into the Soviet union and tries to open up and create cultural connections. So I don't know. There's always,
0: there's always a gray area. Uh, According to this uh, CNN article, um, Govor gave McDonald's almost $1.4 billion to buy up the uh, their assets there in Russia. And I'm looking at pictures of it. it. You know, the interior looks just like McDonald's, except their new logo. Um, it actually looks like a total ripoff of the Marriott Hotels logo. Um, uh-huh. So, but, uh, yeah, life finds a way. Cheeseburgers find a way. Cheeseburgers find a way. Yeah, Um, I can't. I I eat way too many cheeseburgers. I love cheeseburgers, so I respect this in a weird sort of way. Um, all right, so that's that for that part of the country. We're going to bring it home now to the United States. Um, over and you know, and the big story here, the January 6th committee over 20 million viewers tuned in to watch the televised committee hearings on the January 6th insurrection despite Fox News' refusal to air it, and despite claims from people on the right that no one is interested (laughs) Uh, I've seen that on Twitter Um, uh, so many right-wing political figures and pundits and that's part of the the big
1: lie, just keep repeating it
0: They just keep saying, no one cares. Why are they bothering with this? No one cares. Well, 20 million people tuned in to watch a congressional hearing, which is one (laughs) of the most boring things on television ever. And they still tuned in to watch it. So uh, at the hearing, testimony revealed that numerous people within former President Donald Trump's inner circle believed he lost the November 2020 election and that there had been no fraud involved. This included former Attorney General Bill Barr, who called Trump's fraud claims, quote, bullshit, (laughs) as well as Trump campaign manager Jason Miller and Trump lawyer Alex Cannon. Even Donald Trump's favorite child, Ivanka, testified that she believed Attorney General Barr when he said that there had been no election fraud. When the committee reconvenes next week, three former department of justice officials who worked under Trump will testify about trump's attempts to use the d o j to remain in office so rhetoric aside, this is a big deal because he tried to overturn an election yeah and well I mean, that's how, that's incited. how it's looking that's how it's looking yeah he had and he incited a riot and I'm interested to see about the evidence that, you know, they put in work to plan this ahead of time. Um, I don't, I can't say for sure how much of it. I mean, I don't know how much there has been discussed in these hearings yet, but God, what a time to be alive people 20 million people are watching i mean the good news is i mean it did make it
1: to a a hearing and they do seem to be taking it seriously i mean usually once people get to a certain level they're never held accountable for their actions i mean which is kind of a constant theme amongst uh, the elite which is you know frustrating and I was, yeah, uh, right. you know, it was uh, Charles Dickens, A Great Expectations. That's one of the themes there. You get a really rich person and is like kind of not from the wealthy class. Sidekick, they commit the same crime, but one's like, oh, he's just a good gentleman who was led astray by his friends, <laughs> and he gets, right. gets off light. It's like, oh, well, yeah, there's.
0: Well, we just, we discussed that exact thing in our most recent proper episode on James Angleton, where he was trotted out to the church committee and he admitted under oath that he had lied to the president and he had, you know, operated an illegal uh, surveillance program, multiple illegal surveillance programs. and You know, after he was, you know, uh, after he was torn apart by this committee, the lawyers in the committee said, "Uh, we're not going to, we're not going to pursue charges. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to hold him accountable. Uh, So it's, yeah, it's an old story. It's a very old story. The the Cambridge Five, which
1: we've spent a lot of time on the regular episodes talking about i mean that's the story of their life just the elite cambridge um what they call them like public school boys um because public schools are the private schools in, in england and... right that's yeah that's a bit confusing to me but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they like they just they were never held accountable for anything and they could just only fail upwards and it's like oh you you got drunk and like Ran into a police car and punched a police horse. On while you were on assignment in Washington D.C. Oh, well, we need to promote you to head of mission in Cairo, or something. Yeah,
0: <laughs> your uncle, the judge who presided over your case, called us and put in a good word for you. Yeah, and another thing to, that I, you know, I think is, or at least that I've been wondering about is, midterm elections are coming soon. And it seems, you know, I'm not a political analyst, but it seems to me that it's very likely that the Democrats are going to lose any hint of control that they've held for the past two years. And I mean, just even historically, you know, there's midterm elections generally see at least a little bit of shift in power. Uh, and in this case, you know, Biden's approval approval levels are in the gutter. Democrats in general are not really looked favorably, not looked favorably upon by really anybody, it seems. <laughs> yeah. um, and so if the Republicans take back control, you know, then maybe that could mean that this whole thing gets kind of shut down or shelved. And I've even seen some politicians, I don't know how likely it actually is, but a lot of politicians say that they're going to call for investigations into the January 6th investigations. Because yeah, that's how the right operates lucky. in this country now is, you know, not, you know, their best defense is a good offense. And so.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, they're, they're very effective. At politics, which are the games of getting power. They're incredibly effective at it.
0: Um, uh, so. well, it's, uh, it's pretty great if you are a radical conservative. Um, it's not great for anyone else, I guess. Uh, and that brings us to uh, kind of the end of our era of covering international news, Um, and we're going to talk now about the next thing we have coming up. Uh, Soon we'll be launching a new project, a show called The Rise of Mammon. We'll be diving into the rising tide of religious fascism in the United States as the evangelical right begins its takeover of the U.S. government. We've been seeing an increase in the amount of radical religious zealots calling for violence against trans and queer people, as well as growing hatred for anyone deemed liberal. The emboldened preachers and politicians and public figures who make these radical calls for violence and oppression do so in the name of God and Jesus Christ, Uh, but it's my position they don't actually serve the Christian God, nor are they truly of the Christian faith. Uh, The rhetoric... The rhetoric and hateful actions, the rhetoric and hateful actions actually put them in the service of Mammon, the demon whose purview is worldly affairs, the acquisition of wealth and power, control over those seen as weaker than or lesser than, and the destruction of anyone who doesn't fit their strict, often conflicting standards. Uh, take, for example, Dylan Oz, pastor of Steadfast Church in Texas, in a recent sermon. He declared that all non-heterosexual people should be put on trial and executed. What does God say is the answer, is the solution for the homosexual in 2022, here in the New Testament, here in the book of Romans, that they are worthy of death. These people should be put to death. Every single homosexual in our country should be charged with the crime, the abomination of homosexuality that they have. They should be convicted in a lawful trial. They should be sentenced with death. They should be lined up against the wall and shot in the back of the head. That's That's what God teaches. That's what the Bible says.
1: You don't like it, you don't like God's work because that is what God says.
0: So yeah, there's that guy. Uh, There's GOP congressional candidate Mark Burns of South Carolina. Burns, a Trump-backed contender for the House of Representatives, recently dug up old Cold War rhetoric we're all too familiar with, saying that queer people represent a threat to national security and should be put to death for treason. Burns promised that if elected, he'd push to reinstate one of America's most embarrassing institutions, the House Un-American Activities Committee. He said, quote, the LGBT Transgender grooming our children's minds is a national security threat because it is ultimately designed to destabilize the republic we call the United States of America. That's why when I'm elected, I don't want to just vote. I want to start holding people accountable for treason to the Constitution.
1: As as the Constitution is, as he understands it to be.
0: Yeah, I, uh, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Um. The Department of Homeland Security released a report on Tuesday, June 7th, warning of increased threats of domestic terrorism, citing, among other things, praise for the recent Uvalde school shooting and calls for copycat shootings. Homeland Se- Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said, quote, As recent acts of violence in communities across the country have so tragically demonstrated, the nation remains in a heightened threat environment, and we expect that environment will become more dynamic in the coming months. We do expect that the threat environment is likely to become more dynamic as several high-profile events could be exploited to justify acts of violence against a range of possible targets. So that's some interesting, you know, like cop talk, of uh, you know, saying they expect shit to pop off. Um, uh, and Take, for example, just yesterday, we're recording this on June 12th on Sunday, on Saturday, June 11th, 31 members of the group Patriot Front were arrested for planning to start a riot at an Idaho Pride event in the city of de uh, Arlene. Another group called the Panhandle Patriots also held a protest uh, at the same Pride event, hosting a counter-rally called Gun de Arlene. So, And see, this is the thing, um, like when you look at past genocides, there is a history of rhetoric where you have to, like the, whatever the group is that you want to go after, you have to paint them as subhuman, as, you know, worthy of death. And, uh, we see that here where they're trying to paint, uh, Members of the queer community, transgender people as pedophiles, as grooming children, as trying to spread their gayness or their transness to children. And, and then they use that to justify uh, killing them. Because if you label if you successfully l- label a person as a pedophile, then everyone generally agrees that, you know, you're scum and whatever happens to you, you deserve. Um, I'm seeing a lot more of this sort of rhetoric on Twitter among right-wing analysts and public figures. uh, Calls for violence against pedophiles are way up. and, And then, you know, like, there's the calls for violence against pedophiles and groomers. And then that's coupled with the constant assertion that homosexual people, that that transgender people are pedophiles. And it's r- very troubling.
1: Yeah, well, there's also the whole thing with, um, they'll say, um, you know, had the, the jump like, all right, all right, boomer. But they've replaced it with groomer. So you disagree with someone on anything and they're like, okay, groomer. Oh,
0: that's and interesting. So, I've missed that, but that. yeah, uh,
1: And I've seen that a bit and that's worrisome because it's, it's kind of like that whole thing with, um, you disagree with somebody or, you know, it's like, Oh, well, you you're, you're just a Nazi. Right.
0: They, the, the way the that gets thrown around, the way that Russian propaganda within its borders has, uh, Started to label anything that seems anti-Russian as Nazi. Uh, and well, they also uh, it's like Russia gets it both
1: ways. They 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 had all this anti-homosexual stuff going on that helped propel them to power. And uh, the head of the church, Kirill, his big thing there was, oh well, we gotta stop the Ukrainians because they're spreading homosexuality. like, <laughs> so I mean, they're just copying the. Putin's uh, book, which, you know, uh, as we've seen, has been very successful.
0: That's, yeah, that's very troubling. And so that's, um, that's a big part of what Rise of Mammon is going to be about. We're going to cover all of the radical right wing politicians, public figures, uh, people who, you know, hold some form of public interest and we're going to, you know, keep track of them. We're also going to look at the different ways that people seem to fall into fascist mindset, the way that people come to accept and relish in fascism, um, the psychology behind it. We're going to look at the history of biblical translations and different uh, instances throughout history where people have, you know, translated the Bible to fit their political and social agendas. We're going to look at the history of the white evangelical movement in the United States. Uh, and, uh, You know, how groups like the Council for National Policy, which is a right wing think tank and political action group, how they have been working since the 60s basically to build up political power and influence in this country. And they've been playing the long game, and all of their hard work is finally starting to pay off. We will talk about how the religious right somehow embraced Donald Trump as a religious figure, as a savior, despite the fact that he has and continues to stand for all of the, all of, you know. David had his, had a, a man killed
1: so he could sleep with his wife. There's a whole biblical tradition of the fallen prophet. God works. God loves to work through people that are flawed and deeply flawed. So, that's kind of the part of the rationale.
0: Yes. And, you know, we'll talk about how some, a lot of religious people seem to be making a sort of deal with Trump in that You know, Trump got to do what he wanted, and in return, he let Republicans stack the courts with their judges, which we're seeing play out now with the Supreme Court uh, as they get ready to overturn Roe v.ersus Wade. There's talk of them overturning uh, the Miranda law, which says that police have to uh, let a person know about their rights whenever they're arrested. Um, there's talk of them, you know, gutting public schools. There's a lot of stuff on the horizon. And I think that, uh, people who are troubled by this need to get ready. Um, it's my personal opinion. And uh, as I've said before, much to Brandon's chagrin (laughs) often, I'm not an expert. I'm not a political expert. Uh, I do pay attention. I try to read as much about what's going on as I can include, you know, not just current events, but some context behind the current events. And I try to learn my history to see, you know, how we got where, where we are and, uh, what directions different, uh, interested parties are trying to push us toward. And in my humble, uninformed, you know, non-expert opinion, um, I think that we should be in triage mode. I kind of feel like uh, politically we've already lost, although we don't see it yet. Um, I hope I'm wrong about that. Um, We'll see. Time will tell, but that's what we're going to be talking about with uh, Rise of Mammon. We're going to try to do some fun stuff too, we want to keep it interesting, we're going to broaden the scope of the show, uh, add in some more elements. So um, I'm excited for this project. We're going to continue to put out proper episodes of CIA files as well. Um, For anyone who's paying attention and cares, I apologize for the inconsistency of the release of those episodes. Um, But my personal life has stabilized more. I just started a new job and I've had some time had to take some time getting uh, accustomed to that, but things are starting to normalize for me, and uh, we should be back on track with those soon. Um, um you know, would, and I think we're also going to try to do um,
1: like 15 20 minute shorts. Like, I, I think we wanted with our news show to kind of always end it with some kind of like weird CIA thing, you know, like oh, a heart attack gun or something, yeah. right. I think we're going to do that, yeah. but really not talk about the news analysis right. uh, so much. Just um, like,
0: okay, here's a fun story. Yeah. You know, uh, we're going to put out more content interesting. that is directly related to the CIA and the history of the CIA because that was the main purpose of our show. Um, so, you know, if that sort of thing interests you, you've got that to look forward to. And of course, still follow us on our socials Uh, We're going to remain active there. The Twitter, at CIA Files Podcast. Instagram, at CIA Files. Facebook.com, slash CIA Files. And our website, of course, CIA Files.net. You can also find Rise of Mammon on Twitter, at Rise of Mammon. Um, I've been on there, you know, uh, engaging with no one, basically. I don't... I think I've got... Less than 10 followers right now, but I'm still having fun. Um, yeah. well, I, I don't know,
1: listeners, if you are interested in um, converting atheists, there seems to be a nice book about it. Perhaps it needs a review. Um, it's something, uh, witnessing to atheists with love and logic on oh, Amazon. That'll work out well for
0: people. <laughs> well, <laughs> sounds sweet. Yeah, it's. yeah anyway um thanks for listening and thanks for sticking with us for this long and we will be back just in a different form and in the meantime uh, keep your bellies full and uh, we hope you're doing well